Leaky Bucket of Profits, Episode 7, Be a Sales Warrior. Welcome to Episode 7 of the podcast series, Leaky Bucket of Profits. Hi, I'm Tony Malik, the author of the book, Leaky Bucket of Profits, and in this series, in each episode is dedicated to a chapter of the book where I cover the strategies and insights that are in the book, but you don't have to read it. This episode is called, Be a Sales Warrior. In my last episode on building a strong marketing foundation, the purpose, what I said there is the purpose, purpose of marketing is to generate qualified leads that can turn into potential customers. The sales conversion process is the process of of taking those leads and turning it into an actual paying customer. What I have found with a lot of small businesses is they spend a lot of money on marketing. They generate that, you know, finally somebody actually walks into the store, makes that phone call, and then it kind of, everyone wings it from that point on. A lot of business owners don't have any sales training. Their staff doesn't have sales training, and yet somehow we're expected to take this client, potential client that called us, and help them to make a decision. And what ends up happening quite often without proper sales training is when that call comes in or the or the person walks in the store, it seems that the first thing everyone does is just start showing them the product or start or start talking about their product without really finding out. You know, what's the motivation for that person to be in that store, to make that phone call when they came in? And, and what are they really looking for as far as outcome from our product or service? So what we're going to talk about today is have a little bit of a sales training session that a lot of the professional salespeople get and understanding how to turn a, an interested potential client into a real client is the key to business success it's just too many too many companies just wing it and, and without a proper process to doing it, they're setting themselves up for failure. Have you ever had a potential new customer come in or call just to have that call end with them saying, well, I'll get back to you or let me think about it? The reason is, is that in a lot of those cases is we failed to take the client through the decision-making process they need to go through to help make a decision. So what ends up happening is we end up doing things like uh, a discounting products. I see that happen quite a bit is because we're not sure how to sell the value of what we have to offer, we sometimes think that the, sh- you know, the, the shortest resistance to the end result is just to give a, a discount to entice the customer to buy. And even then they sometimes don't buy, but when they do, we've just given up a bunch of our profit for nothing. So what we're going to talk about is a sales process that that you can divide, develop for yourself. I'm going to show you what the process needs to have in it so that you can have predictable results every time you get that inquiry from a potential customer. There's, there's a really funny movie from the late 80s uh, called Tin Men, and it uh, starred Danny DeVito and Richard Dreyfuss, and it was about a couple aluminum siding sales print people from I think the 50s and or 60s and in the movie they were showing us all the different antics they would use to you know to create customer interest and and to convince people they needed to put new siding on their house whether they really needed it or not and you know that was more of a of an extreme version of what sales was like for a long time but for a long time sales model was 
to convince people they needed something and to, to convince that they needed uh, your type of product, but then to also convince them that it was your product. And there was a bit of a sales model that followed and it was probably used right up until the 80s or 90s. And the old way was, the steps were, were here's the steps. And I actually show this in the book, in my book, uh, in page 72, figure 7.1. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the book, I'll try to describe what the illustration has on it, but uh, I highly recommend getting a copy of the book so it allows you to follow follow uh, along with me if, as long as you're not driving in your vehicle. But as well as, uh, uh, I think it just becomes a lot clearer when you can see the diagram itself. But but here's here's the old style of selling. And what it involved was, first of all, if you're on a sales call, you know, you had to take time to build rapport. And that's, you know, having a chance to build, a, I guess, a little bit of a relationship or at least to build a certain level of trust. Then you would go into your uh, your presentation. You would handle what's called trial closes. So you would tell somebody about how great your product was. And then you would ask certain questions to gauge their interest and to see if they had any concerns about it. Then you would try to handle those at that time. That was part of the handling the objections part. And then you would try to close them. And of course, you would end up with more objections, and then there you would find different ways to you know to overcome these object objections so that you can close them and get the sale. And of course, you would follow up later on to see how it all went. But the the, the important part of this is, you know, the the closing part. It was kind of interesting because when I took sales training way way back in probably the 1980s and eighties and even nineties, you know, we were we'd be taught fifty ways to close. Your your client, and you know it. I wouldn't say it was trickery. There was definitely a, some level of manipulation in it, but there shouldn't be methods to close a client. It sh it should be, you know, an organic, straightforward, natural way of of two people doing business together. And that's what the new model is. So now the new model of sales that's been around for probably the last twenty or thirty, or at least twenty years, is the trust based model. Whereas the old way of selling had six distinctive steps to it, the trust-based model actually has eight steps. And what the and I'll go, I'll, I'll list all the steps, and then we're going to go through each step one by one and give you some ideas on how you can develop your sales system, uh, you know, within the context context of these steps. So the first one is develop trust. Step one. Step two, frame the meeting. Step three, discover the client's pain or pleasure. Step four, discover their budget. Step five, know their decision-making process. Number six, the presentation. Seven, the close. And step eight, post-purchase follow-up. Let's go through step one, build a high-trust relationship. The one thing about sales and being in business is we have to truly and genuinely care about our clients. If we just look at them as, a, as an obstacle or, or as a means for us to make money, it's really hard to have a real genuine trust-based relationship and, and they'll pick up on that. So if, if you're in sales and you don't genuinely care about people and the clients you're dealing with, you may not be in the right business. So first of all, let's understand that Building a trusting relationship is something that's real and it's organic and it's because you care about the clients. And that's really what we want to do is when, when we're first approached or we either approached by a potential client or if we do the approaching through prospecting, 
We need to demonstrate that we care for them. And that's asking them questions, finding out about them. What, you know, what mode, you know, some examples might be, you know, do they have children? Are they married? Are their kids in sports? What are their hobbies? I'm not saying we always need to do know these things. It really depends on the business you're in. But the more we get to know the person versus just their needs of a customer, the, the better chance we're going to have to build a real relationship with them. It, it took a little practice when early in my own sales career, but eventually I developed a knack for when I walk into somebody's office, I could take a really fast look around and and get a good idea what they might be interested in. You know, you might see a picture of a of a, of a fishing trip or or pictures of their family or their kids in sports, and that would give you a really good idea about maybe where their interests are. And be curious about it and ask questions about uh, you know their fishing story or how their kids are doing in soccer, that type of thing. It helps build real human relationships. So take a few minutes to do this. But remember the earlier chapter I had on know your communication, your communication DNA? That also applies to sales. So if you get a feel for you know which, which uh, part of the communication DNA that your potential client sits in, whether they're a compliance officer or an influencer, is the more outgoing the person is, the more likely they're going to be they're, they're, they're going to want to be willing to talk maybe about some of their personal life. But keep in mind that some people are, are, are uncomfortable with it and they just want to get straight to business. But it doesn't mean we still can't show that we care for, you know, for them and their business. Although we may have to keep, you know, that sort of uh, the initial conversation relatively short before we get to the point. Step two is frame the meeting. And what that means is when you, once you've got a good level of, of trust, built with a potential client. Now, your client may have come into your store or you might be on the phone with them or or perhaps you're out in their home or business giving a quotation and, and need to get some information from them. So it's always important to understand is what motivated them to either call you or to allow you into their home and business because they obviously have a need or a motivation and understanding the context of a what that motivation is is really important to be to to help us to determine what solutions we can provide that will help their life get better. It's also important for everyone to understand what the purpose of that meeting is, or what the what the purpose as far as what's the outcome of that meeting going to be. If you're in a type of business where you're on a sales call and and it's quite realistic to close that sale on that call. There's nothing wrong with saying at the beginning of the meeting is, you know, the purpose of us meeting today is for me to learn about your situation and give you some ideas on how we can solve it and so that we can we can do business at the end of this meeting. And, and having a, a phrase or, or a statement like that makes everyone aware that, hey, we're here to do business and they are going to have to make a decision at the end of that meeting. So And it helps set the tone for that meeting. But some other questions you might ask is, you know, well, how did you find us? What prompted you to call or drop in? Again, understanding what was going on in their life at that moment prompted them to want to meet with you or at least to agree to meet with you. Here's some motivations that, that maybe you've heard in the past. If you're in the home services business, perhaps they want to do some renovations and they just found out they're going to be having an addition to the family and they want to add a new bedroom or they've got their, their heating bill is really high and they want to replace their doors and windows to try to make their home more energy efficient. Perhaps in the business side of things, 
your client just decided or got word that they needed to lower their costs and they're looking for some cost-saving solutions. And they thought that your product or service could help them with that. So understanding what their motivation is, is really important to coming up with a customized solution for them so that you will know whether you've been able to address it or not. Step three is understanding the client's pain or pleasure. And the reason why this is important, it comes down to establishing perceived value of our product or service. At the end of the day, the bigger that pain that they're either trying to alleviate or the pleasure they seek to achieve, the, the bigger those are, the, the, the larger or the higher the perceived value will be for your product or service. And, and here's a real simple explanation. Let's say you had a really bad headache and you asked me for a pain reliever. And I says, well, I got one, but it's going to cost you $20. Now, if your headache is bad, but it, you can bear with it, you may say, you know what, for 20 bucks, I'm not going to do it. I'll live with the pain. But what if that headache was excruciating and, and you couldn't take it anymore? And I said, my pain reliever is $20. It's much more likely that you would say, okay, here's the money. I want to re literally relieve the pain. So the more pain people feel or the more they, they wish to pursue a pleasure to make their life better, the higher they're willing to pay for it. So it's it's really important that we understand what that pain or pleasure is because it and sometimes they're not even sure what it is. They just know they need to do something. So as a salesperson, I'll be getting to it uh, a little bit later is, but is to ask the right questions so that they understand what their real pain or pleasure is. So that when it comes to solution, they're willing to pay a fair price for it. Here's an example I gave in the book that shows also a very literal example of what the value or perceived value will be when we ask the right questions to undercover a pain. So, so here, here's a, a conversation that I've actually got in the book I'm going to read out to you. A salesperson says, and, and what this is, this is a, a salesperson trying to sell a quarter-inch drill bit to a metal fabrication plant. Salesperson says, what type, of, what type of material do you typically drill now? The prospect says, half-inch steel. Wow, that's thick. How long does it take to currently drill a hole through that? The prospect says about a minute. How many holes are drilled a day and what what is your labor cost to do that? The prospect says, well, about 500 holes a day and the total labor cost is about $200 per day. The salesperson says, well, that's about $50,000 per year, $200 a day times 250 working days a year. Would it help your business if you could cut that cost in half? And the prospect says, it would be huge. The $25,000 in cost savings would go directly to the bottom line and I could afford to buy that new truck. So here's a situation where the pain is that there was a lot of time being spent drilling holes in thick metal and the salesperson has a special drill bit that could cut that time in half. And what that salesperson was able to do is two things, is not only put a quantifiable value on the savings but the prospect also made it personal by saying they could afford to buy that new truck so there was a bit of a pleasure there as well right they're taking away the pain of the cost but also adding a pleasure in that hey they get to buy a new vehicle because now they could afford it so that's the power of asking the right question is to understand 
you know, what's what's that motivation driving behind the purchase, and what motivation would take them, would take, or what motivation would it take for somebody to want to make a purchase? And the more we can build up that perceived value, the higher the price somebody is, is higher somebody the price somebody is willing to pay, and which allows us to charge more and make more money. Step four is to discover their budget. You know, it's uncomfortable to talk about money quite often, but at the end of the day, we don't want to waste our time and we don't want to waste our customers' time. So we need to understand that the money they're willing to pay, or at least that they think they're going to need to pay, is at least somewhere in line with with what we're going to charge. If somebody, for instance, is walking in to buy a new vehicle, the type of vehicle they're looking for may cost fifty or sixty thousand dollars, as an example, but their budget is thirty thousand dollars. Well they just may be wasting everybody's time because the vehicle they really want is costing more than what their actual budget is. I know of an example of where a client wanted to make some mechanical upgrades to their plant and and had a budget of about $30,000 and they wanted to get the most value they could to improve their efficiency and improve their uh, efficiencies of their uh, utilities with about $30,000 budget. Well, a mechanical contractor came in and had all these other suggestions and recommendations that would cost $70,000. This contractor did not listen to what the customer was saying. They had a budget of 30 and they just wanted to see how much value they can get for their $30,000. Yet the quote came back at $70,000. I can tell you that the client almost kicked the contractor out of the office for wasting his time. So it's really important for us to have at least a a rough idea of what the budget is because if their budget is unrealistic compared to what we feel we need to charge, the chances of, of getting a sale are really low and we're just wasting a lot of people's time and getting really frustrated. If that potential client gives a general budget that is unrealistic, it might be a good idea to ask them, well, where did you get that number from? How did you come up with that number? Perhaps they did get a quote from somebody else, but if they're and and maybe their price was based on a solution that offered a lot less value, or maybe per, perhaps may not even really solve their problem, or they just picked a number out of the air because they just didn't know. So maybe we just need to do some educating to make them realize, you know, what some of the real costs are to do the type of work that you do. But it, it's it's good to bring that up up front because. In my own career, I know I've made that mistake many times and wasted many, many dozens of hours coming up with quotes and proposals for clients just to only find out at the end of the day that they won't be able to afford it anyway. So it's good to get this out in the open right away. Step five is to understand the decision-making process. And the reason why this is important is you could also end up wasting a lot of time if you're not selling to the right person. So if you're in a business-to-business environment, it's good to ask literally ask, well, is there anybody else that's involved in the decision for this type of purchase? And if there is, my my recommendation is is to do your best to be sure that all decision makers are in the room for you with you because they're all everyone's gonna have questions or things are going to be unclear to them. And it's the best if you can answer those questions or concerns yourself. If you rely on somebody else, for instance, an employee of their company to be your representative and to, and to handle any questions or concerns, I can tell you it's probably not going to go very well. I know there are times when they just won't let you talk to the other decision makers. You have to, you, their process says you deal with person A 
and then it, they take it to you know person B or a committee. Well, then in that case, your proposal has to be very well written with, with the right details and anticipating their questions is to be sure all the questions and answers and numbers are included. If you're involved in in-home sales or residential sales, it's also important to understand is both spouses have to be there. My, my experience is quite often they do because it's the same as with a commercial, uh, a commercial environment. In a home environment, if only one of the two spouses are there, what you're probably going to end up getting is you're going to give all this great information, give a great, give a great presentation, and, the, and the, the response is going to be, okay, great, I'll, I'll talk to my spouse about it. And there's not much you can do about it. So being sure upfront that every, you understand who decision makers are so everyone's there from the beginning will increase your chance of getting that sale and, and, and on the first call if that's the type of business you're in. In step six, we have the presentation. So this is after you, you've asked all those questions, you've got to know your client, you understand what their real needs are. Now, this is where you get to do some customizing and based on your knowledge of your product or service, you provide the solutions that you could offer to your client's pain or pleasure with the focus on outcomes. So you might have to talk a bit about features and say we have this feature or that feature, but remember your client's interested in outcomes or the benefits of what you're offering. So what are the benefits or outcomes you can offer based on what you found out from them. Earlier in our example, I talked about the drill bit salesperson that was trying to sell drill bits to a metal fabrication plant. Could you imagine how that might have gone if the salesperson didn't understand the motivations of, this, of, of the client and started talking about the drill bit's ability to drill through any material? Well, that's not what the client was looking for, right? The client was interested in a drill bit that could drill through half-inch steel and do it quickly. So by understanding the client's needs, the salesperson focused on speed of drilling through half-inch steel that would save the customer time and money versus talking about the wide variety of materials the drill bit could drill through, which would not have been relevant to that customer. So the solutions we provide have to be relevant to the client that's in front of us at that moment. It's also important to be sure that you're, you're giving just the information the client needs. In sales, they talk about this situation where we talk ourselves out of a sale. So sometimes we keep on talking and talking. The client gets tired and, and we get that question where we get that feedback of, you know, let me think about it. I'll get back to you. Or sometimes it's because we didn't give the specific information they were looking for and didn't convince them that we could solve their problem. So be efficient with, with, with the time you have with the client and be very succinct, succinct and clear about the outcomes you can provide that client and that it is relevant to them. Step seven is to close. You know, for a lot of business owners and even salespeople, the close is the scariest part of the sale. This is where some people turn into cold sweats because they have to ask for order. And in a lot of cases, it prevents a lot of people from being successful because they never asked for the order. And it's interesting, we all have to understand that even customers need to be given permission to buy. There's a lot of personality types out there, especially when we're talking about those steady eddies and those compliance officers uh, from the DISC model that I spoke about uh, in, in an earlier podcast about the various communication styles, that there are certain styles that aren't going to be the type that say, okay, let's do it. 
they're going to sit back and wait for the client to, or wait for, they're going to wait for the salesperson to ask them for the order. They need permission to buy. So understand that your clients are looking for permission to buy. And if you have followed the previous steps and built the rapport or the, the level of trust and asked the right questions, you understand their situation, you've offered really good solutions for, for, for to help make their life better. Doing business is just the, na- the next natural step in the process. So it, sometimes it could just mean looking at them and say, would you like to go ahead with it? Would you like to get it going next week? I had one, one, one business owner just basically says, if you like to go ahead, I need a 50% deposit to get you in the queue. And more often than not, they pull out the credit, the client pulls out the credit card or sometimes their checkbook still, and they're ready to go. So if we've done the sales call properly and follow the process, there's nothing left to do but just take the order. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to have all kinds of 50 ways to close the client. If you follow the process, a lot of the concerns will be will be alleviated, and it will be pretty clear to both parties that this that what you have to offer is the right solution. So don't be afraid to ask for the order. It's a natural part of the process, and your client's looking for permission to buy. Step eight, and the final step of the process is the post-purchase follow-up. It's really important that you know, we don't shake hands and then the deal and walk out and the client never hears from us again. There's always going to be a certain level of what they call buyer's remorse where people are going to be questioning their decision. So it's important to have a communication as quickly as possible after, for instance, to have your installation part department call the very next day to set up installation if you're doing, if you have to install a product or to be setting up that appointment for that service. Sending a thank you card immediately after is a great way too to again to continue that trust-based relationship that you're still demonstrating that you really care for the person. It will alleviate some of those post-purchased uh, uh, doubts that people have and eliminate those times when maybe somebody ends up canceling on you. So at this point, having gone through all eight steps, you might be thinking, "Oh, this is going to be way too complicated for my business." Well, you have to remember. In, in a sales call setting, these steps sometimes flow through fairly quickly. They, they just sort of flow from one to the other. When I was doing in-home sales, selling security systems very early in my career, step one to eight would happen in a matter of about an hour, in about 60 minutes. So, And it's not like you're, we're going to say to our client, okay, we have to go through step one and step two. These are just very natural processes. And I think when you have probably looked at situations where you had a very successful sales call, or an, or a customer you know, or, or interaction with a customer that you probably follow these steps without even knowing it. So they, 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 they do flow naturally, but what, but what you want to do is have predictable results and be sure that everyone is taken through the process. So using the template that I've got in the book is develop your own sales process following the flow that is relevant and specific to your business and use it, you know, use it yourself get used to it, tweak it, keep improving it, but also train your people on it. If you're sending texts out on the road and they don't understand the say, the decision-making process that some clients have to make and they just walk in and, and say, okay, here's your price and put the price on the back of a card, you're probably not going to get the results you're looking for, at least not most of the time. I just want to take a minute to talk about price discounting. Uh, in the book, I've got a section called, you know, sell oranges, not apples. We always have customers that say, well, I want you to quote the exact same way as everybody else because I want to compare apples to apples. 
those are going to be situations where you're going to get into price wars, where prices are going to start to become very important to, to the customer. And what I suggest is come up with your own solution. And sometimes you may have to quote apples to apples to give a relative cost, but always have an option where you're going to be selling an orange instead of an apple. And what are some of the unique solutions you could provide that your competition may not have thought of? And if you can convince the client that your solution is the superior, you know, is going to give a better outcome and more value to the client than, say, your competition, not only will your client want to want to deal with you, they're going to pay your price. And they're going to pay more for, for an orange that you've got a higher perceived value for. And it may be, and it is a higher value than the other quotes that they've been getting. And, and here's a quick example. Early in my sales career, I was doing in-home sales with a security company. Over a period of about five years, I quoted well over 500 security systems. On any given quote, I usually had at least two competitors and some quite often even three. So there'd be three or four of us quoting on the same project. Now, if you take the law of averages, if I was one in four, I should, I should have closed about 25% of all the orders if I was getting my fair share. The fact is I closed 80% of all quotes I ever quoted over a four and a half year period for one main reason, two reasons actually. I followed the process that I just described to you where my clients were not providing or were not following that process. The other thing is everyone was quoting the exact same solution. I always came in with a, a different solution that was superior to my competition but then had to convince the client it was worth paying more to have that solution. And more often than not, they agreed and they paid it. And not only did I close 80% of the sales, I made more money because the sales were higher and the profits were higher as well. So just keep that in mind. People will pay more if they see the value. And it's our job in a sales role, whether we're business owners, we're selling for our business, or even for our salespeople, the number one thing a salesperson has to do is to sell the real value of the product or service they're selling. If this all seems like a lot to you about how to put this all together, I really would encourage you to get outside help. There are consultants, there are sales trainers out there that could come in and provide sales training for you and your staff, uh, help you put together a sales process that you can train everyone on so that everyone is doing it basically the same way and getting the same predictable results that you're looking for. I know I do this quite a bit with my own clients and I'm always help, willing to help any business owner that uh, wants to uh, get a better handle on their sales conversion process so that they don't have all that marketing dollars waste away. I hope you have a much better idea on how there is a decision-making process that clients have to go through to make a decision and to buy your product or service and that you have at least a template now of what that process is so you can start filling in the blanks based on your own business. So good luck with it. This is Tony Malik, the author of Leaky Bucket of Profits, and this was Be a Sales Warrior. Mm -hmm.